Hello, everyone. My name is Shahid Kumar, CISA lead here at Palo Alto Networks. Excited to kick off today's HR Federal IT newscast. And with me today, I have Mr. Richard Grabowski, Acting CDM Program Manager with the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. Thanks for joining us on this podcast, Richard, and coincidentally kicking off Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yeah, that's a, it's my favorite month. And uh, it's good to see you again, Shahid. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, so maybe you can give us some background um, right now on CDM, your role, um, and, and you know the evolution of the program itself. Yeah, and I think this is the very first time, if I'm not mistaken, that I've actually been on uh, HARC as well. So good to access a new audience, hopefully, and kind of give some insight of what the program does. So the program's been a around for quite a while. We've been, I think, since 2012. We're about so coincidentally with uh, you know Cybersecurity Awareness Month, it is our 10-year anniversary. So we're turning 10. Um, and we've been at it for a while, and, and the programs was originally built to help agencies kind of get ahead on cybersecurity in general, right? Um, it was built with a mindset that we have to evolve away from manual processes, uh, paper-based processes, and really uh, take advantage of cutting-edge technologies and where the industry was going to help uh, traditionally um, high overhead processes when it came to, to information security, right? And that's something that we continue to vouch for today. And it's been kind of in our, in our blood. So uh, we are huge proponents of trying to reduce the number of trees we cut down to print out paperwork, the number of emails and meetings that we have to put out there and really trying to be um, evangelists for uh, high tech, uh, hyper, high tech cybersecurity integrations and human um, acumen on using the tools that we have so that they can take advantage of what these, what these, um, what these tools can do uh, and really to help get a, try to just really keep pace with the adversary. Uh, and we've been doing it for 10 years and you know, the this, this cyber EO recently uh, from 2021 has really allowed us to really get ahead uh, in, in previous places that we've never been before, open up new use cases, uh, open up the imagination on how the program as an acquisition program, but also an implementer and a support struct uh, a strut for, for agencies, help them um, uh, take advantage uh, uh, of cybersecurity uh, investments. Great. Um, you know, I mentioned the EO, you know, let's dig right into it. Everyone loves talking about zero trust, right? CDM is on the top of the list. I mean, we see right there on the actions in, in the EO itself, how C agencies must implement and move, um, and, you know, implement CDM and help, help move, use CDM to move towards a zero trust architecture framework. So focusing on visibility, right? I mean, that what CDM has been doing from what's on the network, who's on the network, and, and what's happening, right? You see um, a lot of these aspects kind of, kind of being the foundational elements of zero trust. Can you go into how your team is supporting agencies in the planning phase of zero trust? And how are you guys using dashboard data in those planning phases? Yeah, so the one thing, um that people should know about the program is we break down cybersecurity industries into kind of what we call capability areas, right? And you were touching on these a little bit earlier, asset management, uh, identity and access management, network security management, um, and data protection management. I think if you're up to speed with like the zero trust academics of kind of the pillars, you'll obviously see very concrete alignment to those pillars, right? Uh, devices, users, network, uh, and data, right? So it's, it's unavoidable that we would be brought into that conversation. 
Um, we are still very much into trying to figure out, because we've been making those investments in those kind of pillars for, for almost half a decade. Uh, and so we know that there's already good starting points uh, for agencies, right? Um, you know, again, for me, personal opinion is, you know, zero trust isn't necessarily just about tooling. Uh, it's almost about how you use those tools strategically, where those tools are located to zero trust functions and what kind of adjustments do you have to make to, to make them truly aligned to your objectives when it comes to implementing a true zero trust architecture, right? And so those are the kind of conversations that we are um, still having with agencies because agency networks are incredibly complex. Uh, they're built around the mission, uh, really trying to make sure that the mission can be secure and also not to be uh, intrusive of the mission, right? And so this isn't much about the program work with agencies to figure out how to evolve the culture of thinking of cybersecurity, um, not just bolting it on, but also building it into their processes as well. And those are the kind of conversations that we're having in concert with here are the investments that we've been making over the five years. Do these align to what you want to do on zero trust? Do you have a plan for zero trust? If you need help with planning, is that something that you need our help with? And so very early into the planning conversations, uh, in regards to the dashboard, I think what, one thing I'll say is that a lot of the, uh, the literature out there, a lot of the expertise advocates for comprehensive visibility, uh, orchestration as part of a, a true, quote unquote, zero trust architecture. Uh, the dashboard ecosystem that we have offers a lot of that when it comes to visibility. One of the ideas there is that that dashboard is supposed to bring all that telemetry back from all the different cyber and security investments that we've been making, right? Provide that comprehensive enterprise view. Um, you know, before CDM got stood up, we had, and we still see this a little bit, a lot of silos. Every silo part of the organization sees what they're responsible for, but there's nobody looking across the entire landscape and seeing what the entire enterprise has. And that, that serves as a microcosm of an agency. So if you have a heavily federated agency, CDM is supposed to give you holistic visibility across all your subcomponents. And then if you step up a level, CISA at the federal dashboard now has comprehensive visibility across the government. Um, that visibility and just ground truth understanding of what your environment looks like, your digital estate, um, comes obviously, you know, as you can imagine, is part of one of the one of the very first things you need to understand is before I even think about changing things out, before I even think about implementing a zero trust architecture, what does my what does my environment look like? And the dashboard is a key part of that equation. Great, um, a lot there. Yeah, that's. Uh... Great, a lot of, lot of information there to unpack. Um, I mean, being somebody who's actually been on the receiving end and, and, and operationalizing CDM from an integrator standpoint and working directly with the agency, totally understand those key points. And I mean, there's no shortage of tools. Um, we get that, right? And, and the way I've seen CDM evolve over the past 10 years, it came from, hey, agency A, B, and here's some tools, right? Now I like how you guys are actually working closely with the agency and, and really planning before we look at a, a tool. Let's, Let's see where you're at, meet, meet the agency where they're at and actually get them, you know, to, to a zero trust, you know, architecture, for, for example. So with EDR being a big focus area of the past couple of years and, and on the program, threats like Lock4J, SolarWinds, can you provide some details on how CDM was able to help with the response on these attacks um, in, in collabor collaboration with the agencies? Yeah, so so both SolarWinds um, and Log4j have bona fide use cases in CDM, meaning these are things that the program was built to address. Um, if we go back to SolarWinds, for example, 
I don't think there, me again, my, my professional opinion here, I don't think there is an easy way to say, yeah, we could have prevented that. I don't think most vendors could say that preventative would have been very difficult in that particular case, right? Given how the, the exposure was manifested. Um, however, the CDM investments, the CDM architecture helps triage it and triages it at machine speed, right? So going back to kind of our, our bread and butter of visibility on assets, one of the things that we ask for is a comprehensive inventory of software, right? And so even if you didn't know if you were popped or not, you should be able to look to see in the data sets you have to see, okay, do I have the software that was identified in that risk, right? CISA or some other entity comes out with a recommendation, um, hey, this, these are the softwares you need to look for. You can turn around just like that and see, am I exposed? Do I need to start taking things offline? Where is this software installed in my environment? Right? Who do I need to talk to to get this done? That ability to triage once the exposure happens is just as important as trying to prevent it because you know, as many vendors have been saying over the past five years, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? So you got to have your processes, you got to have your visibility up to snuff so that you know when it happens, you can turn around and deal with it in a way to reduce the, the, the impact radius. Um, similar conversation on Log4j. Now, Log4j is a little more tricky because uh, it was not necessarily a software, it's more of a software library. So some of these tools don't give you that level of, of visibility. However, we did learn after triaging and many, many uh, countless nights of very dedicated people are here at CISA analyzing how pervasive that software library was, right, across the enterprise. And when they were able to come up with a list, again, software, here is the list of software that's out there that's potentially vulnerable. You can take that and turn it to action quicker with the investments that we've been making in CDM. Great. You know, let's kind of pivot and, 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 and drill into the software piece of that um, with the most recent things around SBOM, right? How, how are our agencies um, addressing those requirements around SBOM with, with what they've done around SWAM in the past? Yeah, part of, uh, part of this conversation is still evolving. Um, I don't have anything I can point to today on the SBOM conversation. It's part technical and it's part policy. Um, I do, I will say that given how the program is structured around centralization of visibility through that federal dashboard use case I was mentioning earlier, mm -hmm. there are ideas that we can explore to help agencies essentially identify things, risks uh, when it comes to SBOM, risks when it comes to critical software, uh, risks when it comes to end of support, end of life software. Those are things that we're actively looking at right now. Got it. Yeah, it just kind of, uh, when you mentioned uh, software, kind of SBOM, you know, triggered something that, and it's a big conversation I've been involved in across, across the just in general. So um, I, just wondering how- Yeah, well, I, would, I do want to flag something that's interesting. That's something I just, you know, observed over the last year or two is that, you know, there's always something new around the corner. Um, you know, I, I was mentioning earlier that we've been around for about 10 years. And I think that kind of longevity is only possible because of the things that we do being so critical, so foundational to cyber that it doesn't really matter if CDM is around or not. These are things that agencies would be doing because they have almost like, you know, a daily type of impact. Like you, you're going to have to do this stuff and you're going to have to do it well because the, the threats and the risks are just going to keep coming. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to me to see that kind of we've made this full circle now, right? We're back to the core asset management functionality and doing it well being so important to deal with today's threats. Yep. So back to how ACDM has been helping in agencies over the years, right? Again, visibility being a key aspect here. Um, and then and, and a foundation element of EDR. 
what are your thoughts on the importance of telemetry data to better analyze the agency environments today and understanding the threats that are actually detonating those environments? Yeah, I think I think it's it's the first it's the first it should be the first and last question, right? Like if you're not if you don't have visibility what's going on in your network vis-a-vis -vis telemetry from various cybersecurity tools that you've implemented, I, I don't really know what we're doing because it, you know you're just guessing at that point, right? Like if you're not seeing it from the sensors and you're not seeing the ground truth information of what the sensors are telling you, um, I honestly don't know how you're making your decisions on a daily basis. Um, it's just it just sounds like guessing at that point to me. That's just my personal opinion. So mm -hmm. obviously making sure that you have um, authoritative sources of where you're making those decisions from, you know, like making sure your data is 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 comprehensive, timely, uh, um, you know, accurate to help the decision making process. I mean, we should all strive to be making decisions based upon data, right? Just like you know, trying to forecast the weather, you know, just kind of go out there and try to guess at it. You're going to want to put together as many models as you possibly can from any different sources of data you have to come up with a as best decision you can to predict where you need to be, right? And so that's, that's you know, it's obviously very important to the program. It's been something we've been striving for since day one. And it's, again, one of those things, like I was mentioning earlier, that it's, it's always going to be there, right? Like making sure that you understand what data you're getting, that you're getting it from various sources and your coverage before you go ahead and make a very important strategic decision on cyber. Okay, great. Um, and with telemetry data, right? It just kind of pops in mind. There's a lot of things going on in, in the dashboard itself and how the dashboard itself has evolved over the years. Um, can you provide some details on just the dashboard um, and what you're able to do searching wise and, and contextual type um, data points on it today? Mm -hmm. Or that's something that's coming down the, down the road? Yeah, it's, 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 you know, we've been, I think as of today, we're up and running at around 76 agencies, I want to say. So we're getting there in terms of comprehensive, uh, every single agency kind of sending us feeds, sending us telemetry. Um, you know, I mentioned the cyber EA a little bit earlier. That was kind of a game changer for us as well, because it gave us the ability through policy to get more detailed visibility into potential risks at the agencies to really support better recommendations for triage. Um, you know, some, some people maybe on this particular uh, podcast, the audience might not understand is, you know, CISA doesn't implement mitigations, right? We don't, we don't generally change things. We're a, kind of a trusted advisor, kind of a second set of eyes. And our ability to do that job better, which benefits kind of our stakeholder group is based on the level of telemetry and how expansive it is. And so the cyber EO, when it changed, uh, requested us to change the terms of the MOA to get to that object level data, that gives us that much better of an idea of what's happening threat-wise or risk-wise on the agencies, and then make those very targeted recommendations back to the agency so that they can go from zero to 100% much quicker, right? And so that that is a huge change, and that's something we can do today. Um, one of the things that is a priority of the program, uh, to you know, over the last six months or so, is reconfiguring the CDM architecture for that level of visibility. Uh, and we're going to be in a pretty good position by the end of the calendar year. Great. So you mentioned um, how you guys are working with the agencies on on some of the hot aspects of it. Are there, can you share exactly how um, you know your team is advising agencies? Um, I know you guys have done CISA done some great things around BOT 2201 and the release of, of you know the known the known exploited vulnerabilities, right? Those are those key things. And then 
again, what CDM trying to do around the threat hunting aspects of it? Yeah, there's there's two bit, two different things that we're looking at very very closely. One is incorporating different types of telemetry that we've never explored in the past to do new authorities, new policy. Um, looking at um, you know host-based logs as a potential really gold mine for finding advanced threats, uh, and also through the recent um, you know EO and subsequent supporting documentation such as uh, OMB Memorandum 2201. Um, getting persistent access to agency EDR tools and using that as a way, as a kind of a tipping and queuing method to escalate when we need to find something because there's a high degree of probability that there's something going on on that network that we have to get closer to the endpoint to understand and then allowing the tools to allow us to kind of collaborate at that level of kind of um, artifacts, right? So you know, if we see something on the EDR tool, again, not, not making any changes, but we see something on there we can point directly at the host and say, look, you got to look at this, you got to deal with this because based upon the information the CISA has as a whole of government insight, we strongly suspect that there's something here that you need to kind of take a look at. And that again, helps the agency rather than trying to figure out by just putting out a high level guidance document. We can point to specific IPs and specific hosts now and say, this guy probably has something going on that either is something that you're testing or it could be a false positive, but based on what we're seeing, it's definitely worth your time to go investigate. And I, and, I, and I hope that's where industry is going, Shahid. I, you know, I, 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 uh, I welcome your thoughts, you know, with, in terms of what your company is doing on, on telemetry and kind of, you know, the almost like a managed service approach type of work stream. And do you see that working well in, in industry overall? I mean, that's one thing that we've, we've been doing, right? Historically with, with just how we started off with our next generation firewalls, right? And what we do with, you know, identification of all threats, right? So we are able to, um, based on how customers um, opt in, right, share those threats globally across our customer footprint. That's how we develop signatures, IOCs, and then from there, right, what we try to do is is share the, is implement those and, and send those back to like be your um, next generation firewall, your cloud security solution, your XGR solution, right. We are able to update those policies um, in, in near real time, um, based on what we're seeing across you know our global telemetry data footprint, right. So. That's been beneficial. That's why uh, I think one thing we always say is uh, we we know what we 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 so what we, say? we say we know what's next. Um, um, so that's that's just our aspect of always being ahead of the curve, understanding all the unknowns, and, and really turning those unknowns into knowns. So. Well, the one thing that I've always kind of thought is um, I can't remember who I heard it from, but there was a there was an executive that had mentioned something to the effect of. The cyber workforce overall is stretched thin, right? It's hard to find experts. It's hard to find people to, to do the things that need to be done in the current model that we're operating in, which is, you know, every single agency is trying to hire SOC resources. Every single agency is trying to hire zero trust experts. You know what I mean? And, and when you do it that way, the, yes, the, the resource pool is incredibly finite and certainly there are gonna be people that won't be able to do that. However, when you look across whole of government, the whole of government has a lot of expertise, has a lot of resources, and can do certain things certain ways. And I tee that up because I, I'm curious on your thoughts on if finite resources operating in a different model end up adding more productivity, meaning as a, as a service provider, you can do more across more customers, more stakeholders, because you have efficiencies of scale, right? And you can see things faster, you can actuate them faster. And if you see that on the industry side as well. So I mean, you know, we, we know the shortage of staff, right? So again, one of the things that we always talk about as, as a company 
is how we've implemented a lot of automation, right? We've, um, you know, developed a lot of uh, around our, our uh, security orchestration, um, automating the millions and billions of alert, um, alerts to like just a handful a day now, based on just those aspects, right? We went from a 24 by seven SOC to an eight by five. Um, and and autom automation, you know, people talk about it, but but we, you know, you, you've got to do it, right? You've got to focus on it, understand what are the quick ways to do it, and and understanding, um, not necessarily say, hey, go buy a tool, this or that, but understanding which solutions you already have, and then you can complement complement that can get you there a lot quicker. Um, again, the, the the big piece is 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 breaking down those silos, right? And then that's how you don't have an endpoint guy, a network guy, an identity guy, all those aspects and actually creating those, um, you know, scripts, playbooks, um, as we call them, and, and actually get those um, implemented and, and operationalized very quickly. That's, that's really, I think, the biggest thing I, we've seen as a company and organization that we see a value and then we try to share those lessons learned, best practices with our customers. Yeah, and so one thing that I've always seen in my, my experience here um, at CDM is, sometimes it's really challenging to get your customers acceptance of automation because you're giving the machines control to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen a lot of resistance to that. Um, I don't know if there's any kind of lessons learned that you have. And I've seen this on like application control or, or whitelisting. I've seen it on certain kind of network access control type of implementations where you want to let the policies and the execution of those tools to drive very impactful, potentially disruptive type of decisions, whether it's not allowing software to run, not allowing things on the network. So I don't know if you have anything there that you, based on your experience that you, you've done to help get your customers comfortable with that level of decision in terms of automation. Really, that's more of a, uh, a culture change, right? It's, it's, hey, I don't want to block. I just want to alert. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's a critical vulnerability or critical, that's some C2 traffic going on. And a lot of folks historically are like, no, we just want to alert and then have our SOC team analyze it, triage it. When you're investing in, for example, a solution like Palos Network, we've got a Unit 42 large threat, threat research team, right? Our, our job is to actually make your job easier, right? You, you just check off those critical alerts, those high, high vulnerabilities, things like that in your environment that you automatically block. But really, we have a lot of customers that just still don't want to do that. They just want to alert and then assess and analyze on their own. And, and in reality, our job is to keep, keep you know, our customers safe, those, you know, infrastructure networks safe. So that's what, what we do. But for example, you know, an agency like, um, you know, uh, we'll just name one, right? Uh, HHS, right? I mean, healthcare and things like that. that what, what is your mission? It's not necessarily security, right? It's, it's understanding you know, what you're trying to provide your, your uh, users and, and, and customers. So that's where we, I say, use what your, your vendor partners are providing and doing and, and actually understanding, you know, again, obviously vetted, but using what they do as an approach and, and, and getting there quicker. And it's really an education. It's a culture change. It's kind of a change in mindset. Yeah. I mean, that's the part here that I, I really struggle with is trying to, and maybe there's a, um, there's a risk-based series of decisions, right? Like implementing automation at a certain level potentially will less impact the mission if something goes sideways versus 
a decision that's done in the data center that potentially could take down an application that is, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just something that we struggled with in terms of, hey, these these type of automations exist in the, in the investments we're making, but you got to turn them on. If you don't turn them on, they're, they're not going to be any good to you. And, you know, you don't, you know, we, we also, on the other end of that pressure wise, don't have the staff to do alert triage every day, right? Like that's, that's not sustainable either. So you know, how do you make that, that jump into the deep end? And that's just something that we think about and still trying to address. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and just thinking about this, right? Um, just recently, there was a customer I was involved in and, and they're, they're running an EDR solution, but they only have it on, set on alert. So the whole point of endpoint detect and respond is that it responds once it detects and these folks were not doing that. And, and, and the whole fundamental reason of having EDR solutions is to do that. Right. This is not like antivirus, right? You know, going back 10, 15 years. Now we're we're moving on ahead. And again, yeah, that's that's you know, great topic. And I think uh it's I I, I mean I hate saying legacy because some folks are like, okay, well, you know, I'm not it, it it's a it's a perception that folks to believe, oh no, I'm not that old. It's just really understanding where the technology and the landscape is going and automation being a big piece of it. Yeah, and the other thing too that I think is something that is worth reinforcing is that you really got to have leadership support on any kind of cyber automation type of initiative, right? Because I feel like it's one of those things that you are going to run into growing pains. You are going to have a couple of things come up that are not desirable to happen because of automation. And so you got to have that top cover to say like these type of things are going to happen, but they're a they're almost like a um, inflection point of changing the culture, changing how we do business, and it's necessary. Because I think the worst thing that potentially could happen is, yeah, you you have something you didn't account for, and something less than desirable happens. You you know, an executive machines gets knighted into the network, right? He picks up the phone and just like, gotta have that top cover. Otherwise, you'll never get to a level of maturity on some of these things that you need to be uh, for various resource reasons, like we talked about, whether it's staffing or even to hopefully prevent the next type of major event, right? You gotta have some of this stuff implemented, and there's there's a growing pains that come with that. Yep. Great. Um, so on that, right, um, automation and, and using, you know, the technology that's there, right, uh, um, kind of pivoting back to how now EDR has kind of evolved to what we call XDR, right? And, and what are your, like, thoughts to this XDR approach now where you're not just looking at endpoint data, but you're looking at network, endpoints, identity, cloud, all the above, right, to better respond to these threats, right, um, in, in these environments. Um, and well, you know, what we at Palo Alto Networks call, you know, kind of we stitch our data together within our data lake. Um, what's your thoughts on that and using that approach to kind of better address and, and understand the behavior of environments? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that I think industry is still trying to rally around a common understanding of what XDR is. Um, and, you know, kind of for the audience here, when we, when we talk about doing like EDR initiatives through CISA, that doesn't exclude XDR solutions or, or, or vendors that consider themselves an XDR solution. Um, we do focus on the endpoint component of it, um, but there are a lot of um, best-in-class solutions out there that offer relatively um, easy to integrate other sources of telemetry, whether it's their tooling or not, uh, to help make those you know, whole of their enterprise type of risk identification. And it makes sense, right? Like, and this is kind of the, the promises of yesteryear of like SIM and bring in all this data and try to find certain things going on in your data. That's still the, the playbook today. Um, and, I'm, and I am encouraged to see that, you know, especially since a lot of these particular EDR vendors um, are in the cloud, 
that there are easy ways to expand the data that goes into there uh, to make a holistic determination because we can't put EDR agents on thermostats. We can't put them on Samsung TVs. We, you know, so there are going to be, and, and there's, there's visibility that you're going to need in, in cloud as well. So there are these other different data sources that are useful uh, for triaging and understanding threats in your environment. Um, so that, that, that approach, that evolution makes a ton of sense. And it's something that we're keeping an eye on to make sure, okay, well, now that we have endpoints relatively covered down, you know, what's the next step here to, to help agencies on that journey to get to a place where they have more actionable data, more telemetry to help uh, understand, you know, if there are active campaigns or active threats going on on their network. Great. So just to kind of uh, finish this up and, and drill into like, what do you see in one or two topics uh, for FY23 and priorities, priorities around CDM? Yep, so um, definitely that zero trust planning conversation. Um, we don't, it's not something that we just wanna kind of uh, do without thinking through. Um, and we wanna be very diligent about some, some, some sort of um, structure uh, on planning, right? Not just, hey, here's something that won't scale just for this one particular enclave at this one particular subcomponent, right? Like we want something that is a holistic planning process that'll make sense that will allow the principles of zero trust to remain true while also making sure that it's tailorable uh, to the needs of individual uh, constituent customers that we have. And so that's gonna take some time to, to think through how that planning execution process is gonna work, that assessment process. And then what, what gaps are there? So if that process plays out at, at a particular agency and we find there are functional gaps in their zero trust implementation architecture, how can the program help? How can we help the, uh, the agencies get to where they need to be? And again, this is not something where I think we should swing for the fences, right? I think it's something you could be deep as a, as a maturity model or an iterative process that you're fixing things and you're keeping things stable. You can build on top of those things, right? And just continuing to, to do that as, as a methodology. Um, you know, Zero Trust, I remember the first time I heard about it, this was like 2017, 2016, right? And then it kind of was quiet for a while and then with the, with the EO and all this things coming up again, right? I think zero trust is something that's going to be around for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So there's no rush to try to swing through the fences in the first three months. Like build, build some process, change the culture, um, make sure the stuff that you are implementing is stable, can grow and can scale. That way that eventually we will get to a place where we can say, yeah, I think we're meeting a lot of the requirements of those principles versus constantly trying to redo things or rethink through, through, uh, think through things again. Yeah, great. Yeah, obviously, yeah, you got to learn to crawl, walk, run, right? Have, yeah. You got to get there slowly and, and understand how that best import, um, impacts you, um, supports your mission and, and deliver those services to your users. Well, Richard, um, again, great conversation. Thanks again for your time. Um, you know, and I appreciate everyone listening in to ATARC's uh, Federal IT Newscast. Um, have a great day.